Well, this morning we're going to start a really brief series in looking at the Christmas story, or particularly uh, Jesus in the story of Christmas. And we're not going to do the typical um, look at the uh, different stories in Luke and Matthew. Instead, I want to take a little bit different angle and look at the significance of the story itself. So, um, you know, as you consider the Christmas season and as we got really Christmas began for the our society back in November, on November 1, I believe decorations started going up for a lot of people and certainly at Walmart and all the stores, you know, you started to see Christmas themes and and uh, they started advertising very heavily on television for uh, all the Christmas gifts that you could get for your people. And that's when all the Christmas themed commercials began. And so for uh, society as a whole, we really get into Christmas and we get into the point that, uh, you know, everybody uh, is wishing people happy holidays and Merry Christmas and all of that. And people know that it's just what you do during this time of year. But uh, last night I went by Walmart to pick up some stuff and and uh, I was talking to the cashier as we were checking out and I asked her uh, as I was checking out, you know, did she have a busy week this week with Black Friday and all that? And she said, yeah, it was busy, but it wasn't nearly as busy as I thought it would be. And she said, you know, I think that because Walmart started opening uh, what is it? They started do, doing Black Friday like Thursday afternoon or something like that. She said, I think that it's starting to eat into Black Friday because you're eating into Thanksgiving. And so people, not as many people come out on Thanksgiving for it because they're at home with, with family. But then it kind of eats at your Black Friday sales because you're, uh, people think, well, I've already missed the deal because I haven't gone to on Thursday. I didn't get there when the doors opened on Thursday for the Black Friday sales. And so she was saying, you know, I think that it would do really good for them to just move it back to being Black Friday and leave Thanksgiving alone. And, you know, that if that sentiment is true for one day, Thanksgiving, then it certainly has to be true for Christmas. You know, every year we struggle with rightly honoring the religious holiday that we have as Christmas in the midst of all the consumerism that goes on in our society and how Christmas, uh, for a large part, has been distorted and diluted into just a secular holiday that everybody observes and, and really it's nothing more than getting and receiving gifts and there might be some really... Uh, watered down theme that people latch on to like Christmas is a time of hope or Christmas is a time of peace but there's not a lot of talk about Christ and so Christians every year struggle with how to remind people of Christmas and the real reason for the season and that's a slogan that we adopt pretty much every year right is Jesus is the reason for the season so we remind our children that Jesus is the reason for the season. We remind people that might say happy holidays. We remind them, oh, it's Christmas and Jesus is the reason for the season. And that's all true. But the truth is, even further than that, as far as Scripture is concerned, 
and particularly the stories of the Old Testament are concerned, Jesus is not just the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for everything. And when we talk about Scripture particularly, Jesus is the reason for all of the Old Testament. You know, we have this habit of reading the Old Testament as just a collection, kind of a a diasporate collection of stories. And they really don't have any connection to each other, other than maybe family lineage. And they certainly don't have any connection to the larger picture of what God is doing. They're just these moral stories that we read and we get some life lesson out of. But really, the stories of the Old Testament are meant to be waypoints. They're meant to be kind of these pictures of what the final Messiah will look like or what he won't look like. And so you have these characters in the Old Testament that are meant to kind of point the way or serve as these reservation points in which we say, oh, that's that's good. I like that in that person. I like that he did this. He he defeated this enemy of, of Israel or he led well. He led the people of Israel back to God or whatever it might be. And you say, boy, I wish he would have. I just wish he wouldn't have messed up in this one way. Or you might have a villain in the Old Testament that you say, boy, he is bad. And look how bad he is. Look how intimidating he is. Look how big he is. Or look how mean he is or whatever that is. And you say, boy, I really don't want a king like that. And he is also meant to point to be a waypoint to who the Messiah would not be. And so all of the Old Testament is meant to point us ultimately to Jesus. And there are two characters in the Old Testament that do that better than any other character. And I want to look at those two characters over the next two weeks. The first being Adam and the second being David. And so we'll look at Adam today uh, and then we'll look at David the next time we meet. And what I want you to see in these two characters is that Jesus is a better Adam and Jesus is a better David. And as we look at those, I hope that you will see that. So today we're going to look at actually two passages of scripture. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 31, and then we're going to look at Romans 5 12 through 19. So if you want to turn to one, hold your finger there and turn to the other, that's fine. But, you know, Jesus is a better Adam. Jesus is meant to be the fulfillment of everything that Adam was supposed to be. But if Jesus is not a better Adam, then we are all doomed. If Jesus really was just nothing more than a carpenter's son, an itinerant rabbi that walked the streets of Galilee and nothing more than that, then we are all doomed. But the good news of Christmas is that Jesus is greater than Adam for two reasons. He is a better ruler and he is a better righteous one. And so we're going to look at those two points today, that Jesus is a better ruler and Jesus is a better righteous one. 
And we're going to see that from the two passages that I've just mentioned. But before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to this time of study and considering your word, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts to show us who our true ruler and who our true righteous one is. And Lord, during this Christmas season, may we indeed remember that Jesus is the reason for the season. And not only that, but he is the reason for everything. So, Father, bring our hearts to a, a sense of joy and and thankfulness for who Jesus is and drive our hearts to be motivated to serve him and to bring his rule and reign into this world. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So first, let's look at the, the first point. Jesus is a better Adam, uh, is a better ruler in Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree that seed is in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So as we read this text, we know this very familiar text uh, because, for one, we've just gone through it in the, in the series on Genesis, or we did in January, I guess, is when I preached that sermon. But uh, we've gone through the fact that God created Adam and Eve in uh, his image. And we know that particularly verse 27 is a very popular verse that we hearken back to when we talk about uh, the sanctity of life and and uh, all of that. But there is are a very significant thing that happens in this text that we have to reference as we consider how Jesus is a better Adam. And that is that God gave Adam and Eve two responsibilities when he created them. There are two responsibilities that God gave Adam and Eve. The first we find in verse 26, and that is that God gave them a reflection to bear. Adam and Eve were created to reflect back the glory of God. They were made in God's image, which means that they had the capacity for wisdom, for reason, for love, for will, just like God does. And like a mirror reflects back the image of the beholder, so too we, as God's created image bearers, are to reflect back the glory of God. And Adam and Eve particularly were to reflect back 
God's glory as they carried out God's purposes in the world. The second thing that God gave them as a responsibility was, in verse 28, a rule to extend. Adam was given the command to have dominion and to subdue. So first of all, he was given the command to have dominion. And dominion, the word dominion there, literally means to reign. You know, we don't think nowadays, a lot of times when we read the story of creation, we don't think of Adam as being a king, but that's exactly what he was. He was created to be king over all the world. So we were created to rule over God's creation. Now, that's not to mean that we were created to abuse it or to use it and, and lose it, so to speak, but rather that we were given the authority to reign as God's regent in this world. You know, I made the point back when I preached the sermon on, on uh, Genesis 1 that bears don't consider the endangered species of this world. You don't see the penguins debating over climate change. You know, you don't see squirrels arguing over the usefulness of plastic. Humans uniquely are concerned with this world and the care of it. We set aside national parks. We worry about how our impact affects this world. We even in our own little plot of land, we try to care for it in a way that we can leave it better than we had it when we came. When we do that, we worry about those things because we are created by God to have dominion over His creation. And the second word that we find there is the word subdue. The word subdue means to subjugate. So not only are we created to reign, but we're created to conquer. We're created to bring all of God's creation under God's rule and authority. So this is why the temptation of Satan in the garden was such a great tragedy. Because Adam was given the charge to bring everything under the rule of God. And the, all, the very next chapter, you get a talking serpent who is distorting the word of God and lying to his wife, and Adam doesn't do anything. What Adam should have done is lopped off the head of the serpent for lying about God and deceiving his wife. Because that was his charge, to subdue the creation, to bring it under the rule and authority of God. And yet he failed Miserably. And this is why the fall of Adam is so catastrophic. Adam, in effect, when he sinned against God and listened to the temptations of his wife and the serpent, he gave his rule over to the serpent. He gave the authority that he had to something that God did not give authority to. Adam failed in his responsibilities to rule and to reign. And not only that, but that mirror of reflection of God's glory was broken. 
And so all of us are born into a world of broken mirrors. And we ourselves fail to reflect back the glory of God properly because we are born of Adam. But Jesus is a better ruler than Adam. He's a better ruler than Adam for two reasons. First of all, he perfectly reflected back the image of God to us and to God. John chapter 1 verse 14 through 18 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only uh, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we all have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The second way that Jesus is a better ruler than Adam is that Jesus has extended God's rule to the uttermost parts of the earth. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20, Jesus tells his disciples that he has all authority, that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And then he tells them, go therefore and make disciples. And remember how verse 20 ends, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. Jesus is right now extending the rule and the reign of his father through his church. And so as we support Lottie Moon, as we witness to our friends and our neighbors, as we do good in this world, we are extending the rule and the reign of the Heavenly Father and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The second main point that I want you to see is that Jesus is a better righteous one. For that, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 19. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, 
So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's dis disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So in this text, Paul gives two things that happen through Adam and then through Jesus. The first thing that happens as a result of Adam's disobedience is the sting of sin. And we find that in verses 12 through 14. Adam was called to extend the righteousness of God, but in his fall, he extended death to all of mankind instead. It's very important to understand you are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. We often think of our guilt as a sinner as something that we entered into, as something that we did and then we became a sinner. That's the way the Muslims think about it. That's the way most other religions think about sin is you're not a sinner until you do something that makes you a sinner. Christianity is different, and we find that here in Romans 5, that we entered into sin not when we personally did uh, carried out sin, but when Adam did. And through Adam, all die. Have you ever wondered why a baby dies? A baby hasn't done any sin. But that baby dies because of the Corruption, the failure, the sin of Adam. So we are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. Remember that broken image of God, that God through, I mean, that Adam through his sin caused every one of his descendants to be born after him to inherit a broken image. It extends to everyone who is a child of Adam. And that includes you. It includes me. You might think that you are better than everyone else. You might think that you deserve something more because you've not sinned as much as someone else. But you are still a broken image bearer. And it wouldn't matter if you had just committed one sin in all of your life. You would still be guilty because your heart is corrupt and you're broken. You could never do what God calls you to do because you are corrupted in Adam. But the good news is that if Adam brought the sting of sin, Christ has brought a substitute righteousness. In verses 15 through 19, Paul tells us that if sin can be extended to all through one man, the good news of the gospel is that righteousness can too. That God, in the same way that sin is imputed to us through Adam, righteousness is imputed to us through Jesus Christ. So for all who believe in Christ, there is a substitution that takes place. God takes Adam's sin and your sin and he puts it on Christ. And not only that, but God takes Christ's righteousness and he puts it on us. 
So there is a, an exchange that takes place when we trust in Jesus Christ. You see, friend, do not think that you can have dominion over your life and subdue it to your will. This world is under the dominion of Satan. And no matter how hard you try to master it, it will only pull you under. Turn to Christ, who has defeated death, hell, and Satan on the cross. Brothers and sisters, you are no longer under the curse of sin, but we are under the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We didn't sing it, but I think it's the third verse of Joy to the World is one that I really like. And it says, in part, it says, Jesus comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And what that verse is saying is that when Jesus came, he came to bring the blessings of heaven to everything that the curse of sin has affected. Have you thought about that? That where thorns and thistles once reigned as a curse of sin, now through the goodness of Christian people and through the goodness of the church, those things are turned back. Broken homes are repaired through people who care about those who come from broken homes. Widows and orphans are cared for even though they are the result of sin and corruption and the fall, yet God still turns the curse back on itself through the love that Christ extends through his church. And the greatest testimony of that curse being turned back is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In, God, in Christ's resurrection, he shows that death will be turned back too. And so we have the hope that even though in this life death comes, death is not the end. There is no more sting to death because Christ has defeated death and hell for us. Jesus comes to make his kingdom known in your heart and in the world. So, the question for you today is, are you extending God's kingdom through your own personal witness? Through your witness in your family? Through your witness in your community? Through your witness in the world in the giving that we carry out in this church? We're called to extend the reign of Jesus to everything we do. Whether it's what we plant, whether it's how we talk to people, whether it's the influences we have in this world, whether it's the professions that we carry out in our careers, whatever it is, we bring God's kingdom to bear in the witness that we carry out in this world. May we do that as we remember that Jesus is not only the reason for the season, but he is the reason for everything that we do. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for the witness of uh, Paul and for the witness of Genesis that we are reminded that Jesus is a better Adam. Lord, forgive us when we think that we can somehow write our uh, broken image in our own way and in our own work. But rather, may we recognize that it is Jesus who has rightly borne the image of God for us. And as a result of that, we are no longer seen 
as corrupted image bearers, but rather we are seen in light of who Jesus is and what he's done. And through that, we are able to carry out your, uh, the furthering of your kingdom in this world. So, Father, bless us as we worship. Bless us as we go from this place. May we be witnesses for you in this world. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.